Okay, so I'm going to give you a little, and this is for Netanel's sake as well as for everybody that's maybe the first-time visitor. If you didn't pick up a handout by the door, raise your hand. We'll make sure somebody comes and gets it for you. Um, Chris? Oh, never mind. Kathy's doing it. We got six team members jumping up to do it. We got an amazing team. So I'm just going to back up and tell you where this all came from, and I'm going to give you the, the cliff note version. It all started when Kent and I went to Israel, which was in March. While I was in Israel, God just spoke to me, and it was just basically one word, and I felt like he said, Cindy, I want you to teach on the rest. There is a lot in the Bible about the rest. So that was just, a, a, I had no idea what, that, where that was going, but that was the little nugget I got. When I came back from Israel, the first thing I really wanted to do was to capture the, the, the heart of what Kent and I experienced in Israel. The heart of, of the experience of being in the place where Jesus ministered seeing the places, hearing the scripture. Um, it, it just brought everything to life in my heart, in our heart. So we came back, and the week of, of Easter, Holy Week, I shared a slideshow all about Jesus. And it was a slideshow of Israel, but it was so much more because it was about the ministry of Jesus, about the passion of Jesus, about the death of Jesus. And it was, uh, it was a, a beautiful beautiful, um, I was telling Netanel on the phone today, where I think all of us were just in a new place, a new level of, of just understanding in a different way the immense, immense gift that Jesus did that he gave to us. So then the next week, because I, I felt like we ended on such a somber note, the next week I wanted to talk about the amazing gift that was paid for through all of Jesus' life. So I talked about grace. The following week I started this teaching, which is entering his rest. And this is the little nugget. This is the little nugget that I keep repeating every week. In Ephesians 2 verse 8, the Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God. So this amazing gift that Jesus paid for, grace, is a gift to us. Our part is to believe. So when I'm talking about rest, the question is, the, the big $100 million question is, okay, God says we're saved by his grace and our faith, but how, how? Does that faith rise up to receive the immensity of the gift of grace, which includes healing? Because the word saved, when it says you've been saved by grace, the word saved, one of my favorite Greek words, it's the word sozo, and it includes healing. It includes forgiveness. It includes everlasting eternal life from the moment you receive Jesus. It includes wholeness. It includes a whole lot. So the scripture says, and it's not up there, the scripture says we're saved, we're healed, including healing, by Jesus' grace and our faith. So how does that faith get birthed? How does that faith rise up to receive? So the answer, the answer that I've been talking about for three weeks, the answer is to rest in the belief, in the faith, that Jesus' work is enough. That's the key. It's not about us. We don't have to do the work. 
Jesus did the work. So the thesis, the, the gist of what I want to share is that this faith, this believing, is simply believing that what Jesus did was enough. I want to share the prophetic word one more time. Some of you weren't here for the last couple of weeks. And this is a word spoken by my spiritual mother, Fran McCarthy, late Fran McCarthy, Pastor Tim's wife. It was about five years ago. We were in the little white church, so maybe it was longer than that ago. We were in a little white church in Utica. And Fran said, I have a word from God. And this is the word that she gave. She said, God spoke through her and said, when you work, I rest. But when you rest... I work. That really stuck in my heart. I wrote it down and I never forgot it. Let's look at the the scripture we keep going back to. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Say, thank you, God. (laughs) That's good news. Today, This scripture is written to the people of God. It says, we have a rest. It's ours. It remains for us. And then the scripture goes on and it says, for he, that's that's the people of God. That's you and that's I. For he who has entered his rest, the rest of God, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So you see the connection between entering the rest and ceasing from your works. Many translations, it's reversed order. When we cease from our works, we enter his rest. So we are to cease from the striving, the working to earn something or to get God to move. We are to cease from that. But it's not a rest from work. It's a rest in his finished work. And we partner. We partner with God. God has given us power and authority. He's given us a part to play. But the thing is, we do our part. The scripture that I use all the time is Proverbs 3, 5. That says, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's our part. Trust in the Lord with all your part. With all your heart. (laughs) With all your heart. The other part says, and lean not on your own understanding. But that's where we tend to get in and strive. And try to figure it out on our own. Try to step into the position of, being a doer, because that's what people do. That's what we tend to do. That's what's seen as good and powerful. But God says, I have a better way. I have a better way. And the third line says, or the third scripture says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. We're going to get to the disobedience part next. But it says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. It sounds as if there's two things going on there. God says rest, but then he says, be diligent. So it almost sounds like work hard to rest. But this is what that means. The the part that we are to be diligent in is trusting God. The part that we're to be diligent in is to trust him with all our heart. To be dependent instead of independent. Let go of independence. It's so much easier. Let God be God in your life. And then the third thing is to submit to him or to yield to him. 
So that's what that diligence to enter the rest means. To trust in him, to be dependent, and to be submissive to God. So over the last two weeks, I've taught two big pieces of entering the rest. The first one was trusting God. The first one was relationship. Because you can't have that complete trust. You can't be diligent to enter the rest and have a complete trust in God without a relationship with God. So not to now, that's what you're giving people. It's such an amazing gift to offer people relationship with God through Christ. That's what you're offering people. We can't enter into that place of rest until we know God the Father, until we know Jesus, until we know his faithfulness, until we know his grace, until we know the benefits of our inheritance, until we know his promises in his word, until we know this word and know that he says yes to his promises, then we can begin to enter that rest. But we have to know him first. Until we know the finished work of Jesus, We can't trust in his finished work unless we know his finished work. And that's why what you're giving people is such a treasure. So we talked about that week one. Week two, we talked about transformation. And how God says in the word to be transformed, to be changed from one form to another, like metamorphosis, to be transformed from one form into another by the renewing of your mind through the word of God. And we went into depth about meditating on the word in a very heartfelt way. We talked about what I call the senses of the heart, the eyes of your heart envisioning the word, the ears of your heart inclining your ear, paying attention, focusing, tuning in while you're reading the word. We talked about um, the the. Uh, the mind of our heart, that's what it was, the mind of our heart. And we talked about pondering his word, considering his word throughout the day, throughout the night. The Bible says meditate on the word night and day. We talked about the will of our heart and making the choice to seek him and to to open the, the Bible. We have a part to play. We talked about the emotions of our heart and how as we meditate on the word, Something stirs, and it's, it's as if you're, it's not as if, you are making a connection between what is already done in the spiritual realm as you meditate on the word. You are making a connection, and you can almost sense it in your inner person. There's a stirring. There's an, an excitement. There is peace. There is often even joy through the battle, which just amazes me. And then, I've seen it, I've experienced it. There's a victory cry. There's this something that rises up in you and says, God, I am victorious because of you, because of your promises. And whether you've even seen it yet or not, you can rise up in that knowing that you're victorious because Jesus is the victorious one. Jesus is is victory. His name um, in the Hebrew is Yeshua. And Yeshua means salvation, deliverance, and victory. Jesus 
is the victorious one. When we're in Jesus, we have victory. Whether we've seen it yet or not, it is ours. Okay, so I'm going to start part three today, and this is where your handout starts. I'm going to start with the scripture, and then I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about today. The scripture is Hebrews chapter three, the last verse. This comes right before the chapter four that's all about rest that we've been talking about over the last three weeks. But listen to this verse. So we see that they, this is referring to the Israelites going through the wilderness for 40 years with Moses. So we see that they were not able to enter into his rest, which was the promised land. Because of unbelief and an unwillingness to trust in God. So today we're going to talk again about entering the rest. The last two weeks we talked about, I guess you might call them positive attributes, trusting and transformation. But today we're going to talk about what God warns us about, and that is unbelief. So the title, if you want to give it a subtitle, and we're going to go through this through the, through the evening, is to starve unbelief because what you feed thrives. And we're going to talk about feeding faith because what you feed grows. What you, st- I think I said that backwards. What you starve dies. It can't live without food. But what you feed thrives. So let's, let's get into this. I want to let you know, a lot of this teaching comes from an Andrew Womack teaching. And it has, it's rhema in me now. It's not just Andrew Womack's revelation. It's also mine. And it's so deep in my heart that I really wanted to give this to you. But I want you to know that that's the foundation of where this came from. So the first scripture I want to share with you is Matthew chapter 17, verse 14 through 19. When they had come to the multitude, this is the story of the man, the father, with the little boy who was epileptic. So when they had come to the multitude, a man came to Jesus, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately, and they said, Why could we not cast it out? So that was the question. And that's the question we're going to start with today. These disciples, these 12 disciples, believed that it was God's will to heal. They had seen Jesus heal. Those same 12 disciples had already been given authority and power. They had been delegated power and authority from Jesus to go out and cast out demons and heal. In fact, they had already done that. They had already experienced it. I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. This is seven chapters prior to the chapter we just read. Jesus summoned to him his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to cure all kinds of disease and all kinds of weakness and infirmity. 
He gave it to them. He gave it to the 12. Luke 9, verse 6. This is the parallel scripture to the, to the account where Jesus commissioned the 12. It's from the Gospel of Luke, the parallel scripture. Look at this. After departing, they went about from village to village, preaching the gospel and restoring the afflicted to health everywhere. That's the disciples. They went everywhere and they healed. So they'd been commissioned. They'd been given power and authority. They were healing. The next scripture is from the next chapter of Luke. This is where he now commissions 70. He sends them out two by two to go ahead of him from village to village. Commissioned them the same way. Gave them delegated power and authority. Those 70, when they returned, they were with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in in your name. So they had been given power and authority to heal and to cast out devils. And they did both. They healed. They cast out demons. They knew. They believed. They had a belief. They had seen it work. That's why they were confused. And that's why they said, Jesus, why couldn't we cast it out? Now, here we are here today in a healing class. And this is a huge question that many of us have the same question. Because we say, I believe. I have your promises, God. I know your word. With all my heart, I believe it. But I haven't seen the result yet. So why? We ask ourselves the same question. Many times you ask yourself and me that same question. So let's look at what Jesus answered. This is the very next verse, Matthew 17, right after the disciples have said, Jesus, why could we not cast it out? Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Now, there's three dots there. He said a whole lot more than that. And I'm going to share that in just a minute. But I want to stop here for a second. He said, because of your unbelief. Jesus didn't say it was because they had little faith. He said it was because their unbelief. Most of us think that if we have faith, then we can't have unbelief. But what I am putting out there is the possibility of having both faith and unbelief at the same time. I'm going to read another scripture. Mark chapter 9. This is the parallel account to the little boy with epilepsy. Different gospel. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered the father and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought the little boy to Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, 
If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. They're both in the same sentence. I believe. Help my unbelief. Just stay with me. Is it possible that unbelief could cancel out belief? I'm going to give you an analogy. This is the analogy that um, Andrew Womack uses, and it's just really visible. It's easy to understand. Picture a wagon, a farm wagon, loaded heavy, heavy, heavy. On one end of the wagon is a team of strong horses. I'm envisioning six of them, a team of six strong horses. That's faith. The heavy load is whatever it is you're believing for. But on the other end of the wagon, there's another team of horses, six of them, and they're just as strong as the horses at that end. Those horses represent unbelief. I'm going to put a, put a definition to that in a minute. So you have this thing you're believing for, but if you have one team of horses pulling in this direction and another team just as strong pulling in the other direction, the net effect is zero. One is negating the other, and the wagon isn't moving. Let me read a scripture. This is James 1, verses 6 through 8. But let him ask in faith. This is the scripture that when we're, we're asking God for wisdom. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Sounds a lot like the wagon with two teams of horses kind of getting tossed back and forth. I'm going to go back to Matthew 17 where Jesus said right after they asked, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. But now I'm going to read the rest of it. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible to you. God doesn't say you have to have a huge faith. He says even a tiny little faith is enough to cast a mountain into the sea. So it's not the size of faith. We're always trying to get our faith to be super strong, super strong, building it up, meditating on the word, getting it to be so strong. But this scripture says it's not a strong, huge faith, but it's a pure faith that isn't canceled out or counterbalanced, or negated by unbelief. So this thing called unbelief, that I'm calling unbelief, this thing called unbelief comes in a very similar way to the belief comes. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We talked about this last week. That second 
the word word in the second part of that scripture is the, um, the Greek word rhema. We talked about rhema last week. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the rhema of God. Rhema is a word that God has spoken to your heart. Rhema is that word when you're reading the Bible that God's speaking right to you. And it just settles in your heart and encourages you and builds you up. I shared the scripture last week. Um, I think it's Luke one twenty-seven, I believe. And it's where, um, it's where the angel Gabriel is inviting Mary to be the mother of the Messiah. And the angel says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. And the word nothing is no thing rhema. It's made up of three Greek words. No thing rhema. So let's just think about that for a minute. Jesus said that even with a mustard seed of faith, nothing is impossible. The angel Gabriel told Mary, for with God, no thing rhema is impossible. This scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema of God. That's how faith comes, by God speaking to your heart. But unbelief, unbelief comes in a very similar way. But instead of hearing God and God speaking to your heart, you are hearing lots of other things. Instead of meditating on the word and his promises, your focus, your attention, your consideration is on other things besides God and his word. Let me say that again, because this is really important. Unbelief comes when your focus, when your attention is on anything else besides God and his word. For example, doctor's reports. When you get that doctor's report on the email or a hard copy and you, you, you take it apart, you look up every word, you ask a hundred questions about it, you, you dissect it, your focus is on the doctor's report. What are you doing? You're feeding unbelief because uh, that takes you in a whole different place. I've been there. I've done that. Here's another example. Research. Going to the internet, going to resources, and researching to the nth degree whatever the situation is that you're in. Because when you're in that place, that's where your focus is, and you're feeding unbelief. Another example, opinions. People have a lot of opinions. You have a choice to feed on those opinions, to take those things in. Sometimes they... Ooh, it gets really confusing. Confusion isn't of God. Confusion is of the enemy. Another example of feeding unbelief is experiences. Looking at this person's experience, that person's experience. It seems like when you're going through something, all of those things just come out of the woodwork. It's probably the enemy. But all of those things keep coming. And you're, and you're looking at all those experiences. Unbelief. 
It's like that team of horses, that unbelief team is growing and growing and growing and growing. And even if you're meditating on the word as well and letting God's word feed your heart, you still got two teams of horses going. And the net effect may, may be canceled out. The people in the wilderness, the Israelites in the wilderness, their focus They had seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. I've been reading Exodus, and I just jotted down in the in the couple chapters, like three chapters. Chapter fourteen, they crossed the Red Sea. That was a pretty big miracle. I didn't even mention all of the plagues that came before that. Then in chapter fifteen, there's this beautiful a song. It's called the Song of Moses in my Bible. It's got a title, the Song of Moses, praising God for what he did. The same chapter, the same chapter, they go three days into the desert and they find water, but the water's bitter and they complain. Well, no problem. Moses talks to the Lord. Lord gives them a a log to put in the water and it's sweetened. The next chapter, they need bread. God gives them manna. They want meat. God gives them quail. They keep complaining. They keep murmuring. Their focus, even though they had miracle after miracle after miracle, their focus was on what was going on. What was going on that was confusing, that was not what they wanted to happen. That's where their focus was. And they didn't enter the rest. So the key, and this is on your paper, and this is big. I would star this. I would underline it. I'd do whatever. The key isn't learning how to develop a huge faith. Rather, it's learning how to decrease the amount of unbelief in our life. So picture that thing of horses again. Okay, God, you're so good. Thank you. Okay, so you've got your faith, and you've got this powerful team of horses, And as you get rid of some of that unbelief, some of it, one horse is gone. Now you got six against five. And then you choose not to look at research anymore. Done. No more research. Another horse gone. And then you decide, I'm going to let those opinions go in this ear and out the other. God's taking care of me. I don't need everybody's opinion. Another one of these horses of unbelief gone. And then you're dealing with symptoms. So you call somebody, right, Suzette? And you get prayer. And you get built up in your, in your most holy faith. Another one of those horses is unbelief gone. And there might still be some stuff there. But now you got six against three. Unbelief. Is it counterbalance? Is it, is it negating your faith? I want to talk about three kinds of unbelief. I think this will help you. The first one is I call um, ignorance. Ignorance is when you just don't know. Hosea 4, 6 says people perish from lack of knowledge. You don't know the truth. You can't have a belief if you don't know the truth, if it's never been presented to you. In my case, and this probably a lot of you had the same thing happen, when I was um, diagnosed with cancer, I'll never forget when Jenny told me this for the first time. She said, Cindy, Jesus paid the price for your healing. 
at the same time you paid the price for your forgiveness and your eternal life. Oh, I'd never heard it before. It was such good news. And I didn't understand it. I didn't even know if it was true to tell you the truth. But believe me, it caught my attention. And I started to seek if that was the truth. I started to ask questions. I started to read the Bible for the first time in my life. I started to, and I, and I came to know the truth. And when I came to know the truth, that unbelief was no longer in my life. Because now I had knowledge. That's the first kind of unbelief is ignorance. The second one I call disbelief. Disbelief is when you have had wrong doctrine shared, taught to you. I talked about this last week when we talked about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we talked about the word renewing being very similar to remodel or renovation. And before you can do a renovation, you have to do a demolition. Same thing in our renewing of our mind. Many times before we can take in the, the seed and the truth of the word of God, we need to get rid of mindsets or partial truths or whitewashed truths that aren't according to the, the Bible. In, um, I think it's Second Timothy 3.17, either that or First Timothy 3.17, it says that all scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by God. And it's profitable for doctrine. And then three other things. Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. So that we'll be equipped to do good work. Well, this is doctrine. That's the bottom line. This is where we want our doctrine to come from. And if man or woman are teaching doctrine, or church are teaching doctrine that don't agree with the word of God, then we want to take this as above the word of man if it doesn't agree. Now let me give you an example. When I was, um, again, at the beginning of my journey... I didn't understand the will of God in the area of healing. I didn't know if it was always his will to heal. And I prayed the prayer many of all of us have prayed, God, if it be your will, in the area of healing. Because that's what I've been taught. Once I started to come to know the truth, and this is a beautiful teaching, I'm not sharing tonight, but it's a beautiful teaching, and that is that according to the evidence of the word of God, according to the promises in this Bible, it is the will of God to heal, period. And if, you're, if this is your first time here, you may have never heard that, we will give you biblical evidence, lots of biblical evidence. I'm going to give you one piece right now because I don't want to leave you hanging. Here's the one piece. What did Jesus do in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? healed. He never said, it's not my will to heal. Never. One time he prayed twice, but he always healed. He healed everyone in multitudes that were in need of healing. Everyone that came to him, he healed. He went to people who weren't even asking for healing, who didn't even know who he was. We were there at the pool of Bethesda, right? Pool of Salome or pool of Bethesda, one of those two, where the man was laying there and didn't even know Jesus. He was healed. 
And there's a lot more evidence than that. But I didn't know that. So in order for that unbelief to become a belief, I had to have the doctrine of the word of God and allow that seed to come in and feed me until it became rhema to me. So that's the second kind of unbelief. The third kind of unbelief is the one that is, I think, the one that we deal with the most in here. And it's called natural unbelief. Natural unbelief is what we see, feel, hear, experience in our lives. So it might be symptoms. It might be pain. It might be a doctor's report. It might be those darn scans and blood tests that document or, you know, give you the documentation that you have X, Y, or Z. And it's... and. Those are big in your face. Those things that you're dealing with are very real. They're very real. So last week when we talked about the senses of the, um, of the heart instead of the senses of the body, we talked about in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says um, in the second part of the scripture, it says faith is the evidence of things not seen. We need to get out of the realm of our senses and know that what is true in the spiritual realm is more real than what we see, feel, hear, or know, you know, or or experience. It's even more real. Okay, I've got two more things I want to touch on before we pray. The first one is how do you starve? How do you starve unbelief? How do you quit feeding it? How do you get horses off of that end? What do I do? I want to go to a scripture that shows you one particular person in the Old Testament, Abraham. He's called the father of faith. I want to show you what he did. This is Romans 4, verses 18 through 21. It starts with the pronoun who, but that's addressing, that's um, for Abraham. That stands for Abraham. So Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, already dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So here's a man who has a promise And he chose contrary to hope. In other words, there was no hope in the natural. Even though there was no hope, he, in hope, he believed. He believed anyway. And then it it gives me some really good nuggets here about the unbelief thing. It says, he did not consider his own body. He was impotent. He was, by then, probably in his 90s or late 90s, he didn't have... Isaac until he was 99. (laughs) He was impotent. He was old. (laughs) He didn't even consider that. And he didn't consider Sarah, who had always been barren, never had been able to have a baby, who was beyond the ages of childbearing. She was 90. He chose not to even consider it. Consider means to ponder, to think about, to put your attention there. He chose to not even consider it. 
So you have a doctor's report. And that doctor's report is really bad. You can do what he did. You can say, I, I'm not even going to consider it. Now, when you say you're not considering it, doesn't mean that you don't, that you're like saying it's, it's not a fact. You're just not putting your attention on it. You're not focusing on it, pondering on it, delving into it, trying to just dissect it and understand it. You're just not considering it. So one of the important things when we starve our unbelief is to separate yourself from the negative and stop feeding it. The next nugget on your paper says, guard your heart. And the question is, what are you feeding it? Remember last week we talked about being pregnant with the promise? And we talked about um, our heart being our womb. So what are you feeding the womb of your heart? What are you conceiving? What are you getting pregnant with? Is it the seed of the word, the seed of the promises of God? Or is it the seed of all that other stuff like um, the doctor's reports? others' opinions, research, or experiences. We have a choice what we feed our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance. That's, that's serious. Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance, above all that you guard, for out of it flow the springs of life. And that phrase, springs of life, literally means it's the source of your life. And that word life is the Hebrew word che. The word che refers to physical life. Physical. Like your heart pumps, your brain works, your blood's flowing, your organs are healthy. That's what that word means. So this says, keep and guard your heart. Feed it. Let the womb of your heart take in the seed of the word and not the seed of all the other stuff out there. The seed of the word will feed your faith. The seed of all that other stuff will feed unbelief. Also, guard your tongue. What are you speaking? Proverbs 18.21 says, words, this is from the Message Bible, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. So our words and what we choose to speak, very, very important. What are you feeding with your words? Your words are powerful. We talk about our words a lot in here. So those are some things to, ways to starve your unbelief. What you're feeding yourself, what you're speaking, separating yourself from unbelief or situations of unbelief. But let's talk about feeding your faith. Feeding your faith. We're going to go back to Abraham and look at what he did. Abraham chapter 4, the very next verse, 20 and 21. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. We're talking about unbelief and belief. Abraham did not waver at the amazing promise of God through unbelief. But instead, he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. 
So his focus wasn't on the unbelief stuff. His focus was on the giving God glory before he even saw the results, giving God glory and keeping that promise in front of his eyes and knowing, knowing, being fully convinced that the promise that he gave him, he was fully able to keep. We can do the same thing. I've been there. I've done that. I've held my Bible and walked up and down the hallways in my house saying, God, I have your final report. This is your report. I believe the report of the Lord. I know that the report of man has to bow to this report. It's under this report. Sometimes I take doctor's reports that aren't good and I put them under my Bible. (laughs) You're under my word. You're under the word. And I put on the praise music and I praise and I dance and I sing to God knowing that my God's word is over anything, any other report. And that's what Abraham did. So exalt God in his word. Exalt God. Exalt his word. I'm talking about feeding faith. I'm talking about getting that team of horses strong, strong, strong. Feed your faith. Exalt God in his word. Praise and worship him for who he is. For his promises. And for what his word says he's done. Keep your focus on what what you've seen him do in your life. All of those things you've seen him do. Write them down. Keep them in front of you. Rehearse them. Read them out loud. Say, God, you did this and this and this and this and this. You're so faithful. You're so good. You're feeding your faith. Another idea. This is not an idea. This is like the number one. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Meditate on what he did. Meditate on what he did for you. Keep your focus on Jesus, his ministry, his, his death, his resurrection, his burial, his resurrection, everything that he did for you to purchase your healing, to purchase your grace. I do that a lot. In fact, I would say when I pray for you guys, nine times out of ten, that's how I open my prayer is by putting my eyes on Jesus and his finished work. So focus on Jesus and his finished work. Aggressively receive, aggressively take the healing that's already been paid for through Jesus. The Bible says, Mark 11, verse 22, I believe, it says, um, it's talking about speaking to the mountain, and it says, when you pray, believe that you have received. The word have received is taken. When you pray, believe that you have taken that thing which you have spoken to the mountain. So take it. It's already yours. It's already a gift that has been paid for that's yours. God wants you to take it. He wants you to receive this precious gift that he's given to you. Here's a wonderful declaration. I'm healed whether or not I can see, taste, hear, smell, or feel it yet. I'm healed. Next nugget. Feed on the truth constantly. We're talking about feeding your faith. There's a lot of ways you can feed your faith. Of course, the word is number one. Healing meetings. You guys are here. You're feeding your faith right now. We have healing meetings on Monday night. We have healing meetings on Tuesday night. A lot of other amazing resources. 
One of my favorites, you guys know this, is the Andrew Womack website. There's all sorts of free teachings out there. He'll even send you any audio teaching or any book for free if you feel like you can't afford it. You just say so, he'll send it for free. It's amazing, amazing ministry, and it's good, good, powerful truth. Our website has, our cards are over there. Our website is jesuschristhealstoday.com. And under the media tab, Ken's taping this right now, all of these teachings are out there on the internet. You can feed all day. You can feed, you don't want to listen to me all day, but you can feed on the word of God. You have access. Feed your faith. That's the bottom line. We have our Bible study. It's called God Says Yes, We Say Amen, He Heals Today. If this is all new to you, that Bible study is a really good resource because it's foundational teaching on healing, line upon line, scripture upon scripture. So there's a lot of possible resources, but it's up to you to use them. It's up to you to feed. And the last nugget I want to share is that God's word is alive and powerful. God's words carry faith. God is faithful. Yeah. And his words are faith-filled. So when you're taking these words in, picture yourself just like little containers of faith that you're feeding on. It's awesome. Faith comes by the word of God. Faith comes through the word of God. So feed your faith. Feed your faith. Okay.